0: This is Tom Lee, Chief Medical Officer for Prescaney, and we're recording today another in our series of physician interviews for our Physician Excellence Series, where we've been focusing on physicians who have found something remarkable in, in through their clinical work, and uh, you know something that motivates them, something that gives them the passion to persevere in their efforts. And today, we're talking with Joe Saccharin, who is the Director of Emergency General Surgery at Johns Hopkins. He's a trauma surgeon who works in the emergency department, and he emerged as a national leader toward the end of 2018 in the effort to curb gun violence. Now, the story of how he went from being you know, a trauma surgeon in the emergency department to suddenly being uh, someone that was being featured in National Public Radio and the New York Times and other places. It began with a tweet. And I'll let Joe just tell that story, uh, you know, briefly, and we'll come back to it after we talk a little bit more about some other topics. Joe?
1: Yeah, well, thanks, uh, Tom, so much for having me. It's, uh, It's a great honor to be with you. And really, you know, the story of of gun violence in America is something that is near and dear to my heart and that I've been working on for many years. But as you alluded to in November of this past year, there was some communication from the NRA that essentially suggested that we as the medical community have no business being part of the solution to reduce farm related injury and death in America. And uh, I think that really struck a nerve with a lot of the a lot of us within the medical community and uh, caused a pretty big response.
0: Well, they put out a tweet and you responded. So if you can like just describe that back and forth uh, on Twitter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this was actually just before uh, the Thousand Oaks mass shooting, and they had put out a tweet that essentially said that, Doctors should stay in their lane when it comes to providing solutions for uh, gun violence in America. And they also suggested that we had pretty much been working on this alone without really, uh, as they put it, uh, consulting anyone else, which couldn't really be further from the truth. In fact, you know, number one, we do find ourselves as individuals that are on the front line day in and day out taking care of these critically injured patients. And so we do think that we have a role in, um, you know, providing data-driven solutions to curb this public health crisis. But what's also interesting is that uh, we have engaged other stakeholders, in fact, including the NRA. Uh, The American College of Surgeons actually met with NRA leadership in January of 2017. Uh, So really, uh, this false rhetoric and communication, I think, is a demonstration uh, to myself, to the rest of the medical community, and frankly, to Americans all across this country, that uh, they are not serious about wanting to move the needle forward on this issue.
0: But then your response, the one that uh, captured so many people.
1: So I was uh, I was sitting on the couch when uh, I saw this response from the NRA, and I had a really a visceral reaction, uh, which essentially I said that I can't believe the audacity uh, of the NRA to have this type of communication when we are the ones that are, you know, on the front lines taking care of these patients. We're the ones that are having to talk to loved ones, you know, mothers, fathers, sisters and brothers, and tell them that they're not coming home again. So we were, I was really incensed when I saw this, and I think that so many people across the country within medicine were as well.
0: And so what did you do?
1: And so initially, what we started seeing is that there was a just tremendous uprising, not just from trauma surgeons, but really across all specialties within medicine. And I don't mean just physicians. I mean nurses and uh, respiratory therapists and pathologists, all sorts of individuals that said, no, actually, we do have a role to play in this epidemic that we're facing that's uniquely American. And... What I realized was that, you know, there's so many people out there that are extremely frustrated with um, this epidemic that we're facing, but didn't have a way to kind of voice their frustration or play an active role. And so I ended up creating the Twitter handle. This is our lane. And when I created it, essentially, my goal was to provide a platform to unite healthcare professionals all across this country to really have one strong voice, you know, in this, you know, fight against ending gun violence in America. And to my, you know, uh, surprise, to be honest, it exploded overnight. I mean, we went from, you know, 500 followers one day to the next day was over 7,000 and subsequently continued to grow throughout that week. And I think it just demonstrated the fact that people were waiting to you know, have this type of platform where they could express uh, what they're seeing day in and day out uh, within healthcare, and also provide some thoughts and ideas and solutions to actually be able to curb this epidemic.
0: You know, I'm an internal medicine guy, and the idea of a trauma surgeon in the emergency department getting incensed and upset—gee, I, I don't think I've ever encountered that before. But well, we'll come back to your uh, getting upset about that. But I, let's let's talk a little bit first about the Joe Saccharin story, you know, so, uh, you know, so tell us, you know, we'd like to know where you came from, how you turned out the the way you turned out. So where'd you grow up and how'd you make your way into medicine?
1: I grew up in Northern Virginia, uh, just outside our nation's capital. And I was, you know, born a son of immigrant parents who, you know, came here over 40 years ago, really Tom in search of that uh, American dream, like, you know, so many other, uh, immigrant stories. And, I would say that I had a relatively uh, normal childhood upbringing. My parents were so invested in really ensuring that we got the best possible education. And my siblings and I really had such a great example to look up to because we would see the work ethic and the dedication that they put into really providing us everything that they could within within their means. And at the age of 17, my, my life really changed. Uh, it was my senior year of high school. And uh, as in many high schools across the country, uh, high school football is a pretty big thing. And so we were at our first high school football game with some of my friends. And after the high school football game, I was, you know, hanging out with high school friends uh, the way we typically do. And a random fight broke out uh, not too far from where we were. And a guy pulled out a gun and started firing to the crowd. And I got hit in the throat with a thirty-eight caliber bullet that uh, nearly killed me. And uh, that was really uh, the moment I think where my uh, life changed. I was 17, you know, most 17 year olds I would submit to you have no idea what they want to do the rest of their life. Most 17 year olds don't realize the fact that they're mortal uh, and most 17-year-olds you know, don't appreciate the people that they have in their life. And so when that happened, that really opened my eyes, and uh, that made me realize that I was given the second chance. And so to be able to take that second chance and provide other people with that same opportunity is kind of what started my path into medicine.
0: I listened to the fantastic National Public Radio interview with you, and you described this one moment where you were looking in the mirror uh, at your wound and your father walked by. Could you, you know, summarize that again for our listeners?
1: Yeah, so it was uh, shortly after I'd gotten out of the hospital, and I had undergone you know, a bilateral neck exploration, so I, I had scars up and down my neck, and I also had a, a tracheostomy tube. And I was sitting there in the mirror, just kind of, you know, looking at my scars. I mean, you're 17, so it's, you know, not something normal to have all these scars up and down your neck. It's not normal to have a tracheostomy tube. And I didn't realize that my father was, you know, standing there at the doorway looking in. And he walked in and, you know, he looked at me and said, you know, listen, I know what happened is terrible, but you have two options one is you know you can sit here and feel sorry for yourself or two you can take this incredible opportunity this second chance at life and try to make a difference for other people and it was a really profound moment that i think you know changed the way i was at that time currently thinking about the rest of my life and i think it really uh, led me down this path and inspired me to go into medicine uh, inspired me to become a trauma surgeon, and has really led me to working at that intersection of medicine, public health, and public policy.
0: Now, another thing I learned is, uh, from reading about you uh, was that uh, when you went down that long road in medicine and, and getting training in surgery, you ended up working with the same team at Inova who had taken care of you.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was something that I think was probably the most you know special uh, experience from a training perspective uh, that I, I've ever had, and I ended up coming back to Nova Fairfax Hospital where I was a patient, and and I did my general surgery residency there with uh, Dr. Bob Ahmed, who was my trauma surgeon at the time, and Dr. Dipankar Mukherjee, who was my vascular surgeon. I had a carotid injury during this gunshot wound, which uh, had to be repaired by Dr. Mukherjee, and. To be able to train with them was so special. Uh, It was very nerve-wracking. I always felt like I had to be the best that I could possibly be, you know, to live up to, you know, this opportunity that, you know, they gave me. And so it was really a tremendous experience. I learned uh, so much personally and professionally. And it really, I think, you know, is something that is very unique because most people haven't seen both sides. Of the coin, so to speak.
0: Well, I'm sure it meant an amazing amount to them, too, to see someone that they saved turn out as you have. So, so tell me, what's your job like now? I know you just barely got here on time because you were coming out of the OR, but what do you do at Hopkins?
1: I am a trauma-critical care surgeon, uh, and that can mean a lot of things. But for me, uh, what that means is I have an elective general surgery practice, so I see bread-and-butter general surgery. But I also take care of trauma patients. We take care of emergency general surgery patients. And we're also surgical critical care intensivists. And so, in fact, right before uh, you know our uh, little uh, conversation here, I was in the operating room doing an emergent operation on a neutropenic patient that had perforated uh, their sigmoid colon. And I tell you, I absolutely love what I do. You know, being able to take care of patients and not only have the theoretical knowledge, but also the practical skills to take care of the problem is so gratifying. And it's something that honestly keeps me grounded and, and reminds me every day that what's important is keeping the patient at the center of the equation. And I think that's a good principle for many of us to live by.
0: Well, I mean, one of the themes that's come out from talking to the physicians in this series is, you know, you know, Often when they're taking care of patients, you know, they can see their family members, you know, the issues that their parents had, they can see in, in the patients that they're seeing. It sounds like you can actually see yourself when you're, you know, seeing some of the patients who come in with trauma in the ED.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, that's honestly um, a unique perspective that I have because I've been a patient, but now I'm also able to see it from, from the other kind of uh, vantage point. And I'll tell you, Tom, that's the worst part of my job is having to speak to those families. Because, you know, while we can save a lot of people, we're not able to save everyone. And sometimes when I go out to those waiting rooms, and I've said this before, I sometimes just sit there and I just look at the families. And I, you know, look at those mothers and those fathers, and I realize that what I'm about to do is going to change their life because I'm about to go out there and tell them that their loved one is never coming home again. And that never, that never gets easier. And uh, you know, I, I often look at those faces and I just think, I I wonder what my parents and family must have thought when that surgeon came out to talk to them. So it's a really difficult part, I think of what we do uh, as clinicians.
0: Well, your response to that NRA tweet, you know, it's set, a lot in motion, and uh, you know, tell us a little bit how that unfolded. Like, you know, you, you just, you know, wrote something back on Twitter, and and then how did it snowball, and how did you know it was snowballing?
1: Yeah. So initially, when uh, I sent that out, I, I honestly didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, I was hoping we were going to see a response from a lot of people, and the tweet that I sent out ended up going viral and was uh, retweeted, you know, thousands of times. And I, I realized at that moment that, you know, this is something that really kind of touched a nerve with the public, not just the medical community, because I think, you know, we have a very special relationship with our communities. And I think the public for the most part, um, they really trust us as, as their clinicians and as their care providers. And so it wasn't just, the medical community that were really enraged, but it was really just citizens all across this country. And when I started to see all of the responses, was when I decided, you know what, let's let's develop a platform so people can, you know, use this as a way to kind of, you know, express what they're going through, what they've seen. And I didn't know you know, the dramatic effect it was going to have. But I realized once I started seeing the exponential increase in the number of followers that This Is Our Lane had, that it really um, was something uh, that resonated with people. And, you know, with that came a lot of opportunities um, to interview uh, with uh, different uh, news outlets and media and really tell that story. And I should say, you know, this is not just... About me, the reason that this movement was successful is because we had so many people from all walks of life that were really part of something that was very special. So, you know, emergency medicine physicians and respiratory therapists and nurses and policymakers, public health practitioners, all of these individuals came together. And it wasn't just non gun owners, it was also gun owners who said, no, you know what, I'm a gun owner. I'm a healthcare practitioner, and we have a role in this. So it really was um, something that I think united uh, healthcare professionals across this country.
0: Well, you really captured a moment, and uh, you know, you you captured the way so many of your colleagues and others were feeling. But what happens now? Because you know, I I you know I I just know from reading about you that. You're being pulled in one direction, out of the ED, out of the OR, toward being some kind of national leader, uh, being an advocate. Uh, you're not the only physician in this series for whom that's happened. A- another surgeon you know, be- has become very interested in how we prescribe opioids, and now he's becoming a, you know, a national leader in that. But how does this affect you know, the way you feel about your work as a clinician and how you're shaping your professional life?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is something that, to be honest with you, I struggle a lot with because I I love taking care of patients. You know, being in the operating room and providing, you know, kind of one life-saving decision after the other is is incredibly gratifying. But, you know, Dr. Lee, I, I think I've also come to the realization that we have both the possibility and the responsibility to work beyond the trauma center, beyond the operating room. Because frankly, some of the best, you know, medical intervention for especially these critically injured patients is preventing it from ever happening to begin with. And so I think, you know, in medicine, and we've started to see this, those of us that are clinicians that are kind of playing a role within, you know, the policy piece, within the public health piece, that is so critical, because we understand what it's like to take care of these patients. And I really strongly feel that we are part of you know that group of stakeholders that are required to you know provide our opinion provide a data driven approach and help guide our policymakers in making you know sound policy that can you know make communities all across this country safer
0: well joe i i think you know we should close here and just by you know having me you know say you know thank you for all the things that you've been doing helping patients one at a time but having the audacity to start uh, to express the way you're really feeling and uh, the resonance that so many other people found in your, in, in what you did is uh, something, something very special. And I know that you're only, what, you're like 40 years old? How old are you? Yeah, I just turned 41. You just turned 41. Well, I know that uh, we're going to be hearing, uh, you're going to be having great impact on an individual level and on a larger scale for a long, long time to come. And I hope to be Following and uh, rooting for your success um, on the sidelines. So, thanks again, Joe, and uh, and I will be in touch soon.
1: Yeah. Well, Doctor Lee, thank you so much, and thanks for all your leadership. I mean, you know, a lot of us we really kind of uh, look up to people like yourself that have really paved the way for thinking beyond just kind of the scope of clinical care, and uh, I, I think that's that's so important and really. Um, it's what's going to kind of be, the I think, the really the highlight of the next generation of, of future leaders in America and uh, within medicine. So thank you so much for for being interested and in covering this uh, this epidemic that we're facing and for your leadership.
0: Thank you.